we're trying to puzzle through a freeze damage event and we're getting results that surprise us so we invite you to ponder with us what could have caused the difference. Welcome to Longleaf Breeze, subsistence farmers using three simple principles, approaching but never reaching subsistence. It's got to be fun while we're doing it, and we don't make all misstatements. And now, Lee and Amanda Borden. Thanks, Adrian, and welcome to our podcast of December 5th, 2013. Um, that's right. You mentioned that we've had a couple of different frost or freeze events with results that differed between our location here right outside Tallahassee and what went on in the learning garden of the Elmore County Extension Office. Which is about 20 miles away. Right, not very far. And we're going to just talk about some of the the observations we've made. But we wanted to start off by reviewing what had happened and just some general guidelines for frost tolerance of vegetable plants. Um, We had our first big frost of the season, on November 13th and 14th when it got down to 27 and 28 degrees. Um, And we knew that, uh, and I'll go ahead and say that I'm crediting um, the following sources with a lot of my information, Texas A&M Extension, University of Illinois Extension, and uh, Botanical Interest, which is a seed company from which I buy a lot of my um, seeds, and I found them to be a reliable source of information over the years. But um, in general... We the results we got were expected because we we know that beans, peas, cucurbits, corn, nightshades, okra, and sweet potatoes, um, and when I say peas, I meant to say field peas. Um, those are typically can only tolerate above freezing temperatures. Um, so sure enough, the day after it went down to twenty seven degrees. That was it for those plants. But fortunately, we knew it was coming, and you yes. pulled in all of your nightshades and all right. of your beans and peas. Got all those out of the ground. and Well, actually, <laughs> I found a few remnants later, but uh, it's true. I did all the, the harvesting that I could. Um, now, that, that was um, a little bit below freezing. Colder temperatures, which um, we would say that's between 26 to 31 degrees Fahrenheit, um, that's that's a I guess a light frost maybe maybe we're getting into a little bit of hard frost I don't know but and and different sources will use different uh, terms for that but we were above that 26 degree level that's what I wanted to say is on November 13th and 14th we were fine as far as crops like broccoli cabbage cauliflower chard lettuce mustard onion radish and turnip those plants are typically fine between 26 to 31 degrees. You and may I'll ha- just throw in here that 20 miles away at the Learning Garden in that same event, which was, we believe, about the same temperature, your friend Candy Jones lost her... Her lettuce. Her lettuce. Yes. The mustard was still going. Lettuce, no. And that was when it got down to 27 degrees. Right. So now we we look to um, the, the plants that we expect to be able to weather below 26 degrees. Those would be beets, Brussels sprouts, carrots, collards, kale, parsley, and spinach. And I'm emphasizing kale because that's one of the plants where we saw some discrepancies in the latest freeze event. So now that brings us to what happened on the night of November 28th. 
and that you know it was actually early Thanksgiving morning when this happened. Um, we had a low of 22 degrees, at least as far as we measured out here in our vegetable garden. And just to tie a string around that, we have a weather observation station right on Veg Hill. So we are monitoring the temperature about five feet off the ground at Veg Hill. And we knew it went down to 22 degrees. We are having to guess, it's an, it's an educated guess, but guess exactly how cold it got that same night in Wetumpka at the at the. And the reason garden. we're having to guess is that there is no such weather observation station at the Learning Garden. And one of the first things that we think might have a real impact on all of this is the altitude of the right. two sites. And the Learning Garden is lowlands. It's close to the river, and um, our elevation is 328 feet. The Learning Garden is 183 feet. So that's quite a difference of yeah. altitude. Yeah. That could have made the difference in my lettuce surviving that first 27-degree night and not seeing that with my friend Candy's lettuce. And then the subsequent event, the 22nd, <clears throat> the only thing I covered, and we'll talk later about protection, was my lettuce. All my kale was, well, I do have some kale that's under a, a, an insect barrier, but basically the kale in question here at the in my vegetable garden was... Free and open, no no protection whatsoever. There was also no protection over the the raised beds that we're going to be talking about today at the Learning Garden. There are a couple of beds that had some um, insect barrier screen over them, and actually they seem to be a little bit less damaged by um, the freeze than the the uncovered beds that were on at the same level they were. But we have a, about. Yeah, you know, well, and it, what we're really looking at right now are two out of about six raised beds that are extremely high off the ground, um, hip level, okay, hip height, I'd say. Um, next time I go, I'll measure exactly how tall they are. But they're, I barely have to lean over to deal with those vegetables in that. So, whereas our raised beds out on Veg Hill are only a foot off the ground. Yeah, it's more like your shin height. Right. So there's that distinction. But what happened after the, that last 22-degree freeze is that my kale here soared through it. No, no damage, no foliar damage. It was just fine. Went to the learning garden two days ago because nobody had really seen what happened between the 22nd and, the, and um, yesterday or two days ago. The kale, my kale that I have planted in that hip-high raised bed was had significant foliar damage now the plants weren't dead they're still and we cut some of the dead leaves off and they look a lot better now but there was significant foliar damage to the kale as well as to the mustard plants that candy had planted now i understand that mustard is a little less cold-hardy than kale so maybe we're not as surprised about that i do have some mustard planted out here in my vegetable garden that did not sustain any foliar damage at all so you know, it just something's going on in those differences, and we're trying to figure out what um, what did make a difference. And it led us to um, a good bit of research about the whole concept of frost tolerance. Um, so that's partly what we want to talk about today. So let's go through some of the factors we yes. know make a difference. In addition How to temperature, right. of course. Yes. Um, make, you start with that. 
and also how long you last at that cold temperature. And that's what we don't really know. We really don't know. Um, I can tell you how long it lasted here because I was watching it all night long. <laughs> Uh, well, I was asleep, so I'll let you. I leave you to watch the temperature. Well, I don't all night. <laughs> mean I was awake all night, but I mean I was up and down during the night and the wee hours, checking the temperature to just sort of monitor what was going on. And I can tell you that we didn't stay very long at twenty-two degrees. You know, we started probably ten or twelve degrees above that, fell all during the wee hours of the morning hit that 22 degrees, and it was a pretty clear day, as it always is on a cold day here. And, you know, within an, uh, an hour or two, it was back up above freezing. So um, it was a quick little event, but it was a very severe event. And I suspect it followed the same pattern exactly. in Wetumpka. Exactly. We suspect it was about the same in Wetumpka. So in terms of the duration of those low temperatures, uh, we were fortunate on that. The next factor we know makes a difference is conditioning. Right. Yes, that's one thing I learned. Um, the Texas A&M website discussed um, the fact that if you had a broccoli plant or something, you know, a brassica that ought to be cold tolerant, but you had just a stretch of warm weather and everything was fine, all of a sudden got plunged to 22 degrees, that would probably take it out. Um, but... And we didn't have that. It was a little bit more gradual. A little bit, but it was... a f it, this is fairly early in the season to have a 22-degree freeze in I central agree. Alabama. Actually, I thought it was a little early in the season to have 27 degrees in mid-November. Eh, well, um, our first, you know, historic first frost is 1st of November, yeah. so. Well, yes, but last, well, last year was warmer, and yeah. so that made a difference. But anyway, uh, the conditioning makes a difference, which has ramifications for people who use hoop houses, by the way, or row cover, and they decide to take it off. Um, and we can talk about that a little later. You, you wouldn't want, it's kind of like the concept of hardening off for the, the heat of a plant. You don't just plunge it into some totally different condition and expect it to do as well as a plant that's been gradually conditioned. So um, comparing vegetable garden here, the vegetable garden at uh, in Wetumpka at Extension, what was the difference? I put those kale plants in about the same time. So um, there should not have been any significant differences in their conditioning. Yeah, they, they had about the same conditioning, so that's probably not a difference. Yeah. Uh, another thing we know makes a difference is the wind. That's right. Now, you, you did find one site that said a windy night is actually harder on plants. That's right. But we've always viewed it the opposite way. Well, we've always viewed that... Uh, We've always taken the, the approach that when the wind is blowing on a cold night, it's generally good news. Just because I think it doesn't allow the frost to form and stay there on the plant. You well, know, it doesn't allow that coldest air to settle right. to the ground That's, where the plants are. But here's here's the, um, the alternative interpretation. Um, if wind is blowing on a cold night, then it sweeps away the warm air that's trapped there near the ground. So um, it eliminates, it. well, this applies more to where you've got a structure that might be um, protecting that plant, like in a microclimate bed or something. Yeah. So maybe, um, and the fact, again. Because warm air doesn't get trapped close to the ground. That's just, that doesn't make sense if, physically. If you're relying on the a microclimate, situation if you're if you're relying on a structure yeah yeah I and, will give you that and i will tell you those raised beds at extension 
are fairly close to a building. Mm -hmm. So actually two buildings. So they probably have a little bit more um, capacity from as far as shelter by the buildings, but they're out at the, on the other side is a big open field and nothing to stop that wind from coming through. So that really could be a factor. And I'm trying to remember how they are oriented. You know, that big open field is to the north. So it's getting a north wind. Yeah. yeah. So that's part of, that's probably one of the explanatory factors right there. Is and if you go wind. directly north of Veg Hill, you come to the barn which may actually deflect a little bit of that wind. Yeah, even though it's a, it's farther away from the bed than the structures at the Learning Garden are from those beds. But, but it's north of them. It's north of them. You're right. So now we have that, that we may be blocking some north wind off of the vegetable garden, and it's they're getting socked there at the, at the Learning Garden from that, that open field. So, yeah, I think we've hit on something there. Okay. Another factor is we've talked about the altitude, and, and we know that in general, just the reason we think altitude, we know altitude should make a difference, is the fact that um, cold, cold air, air falls and settles and warm air rises. There you go. So, um, And we know we're higher in, in elevation than the Learning Garden, and we've always thought of ourselves as low, but we're low in relation to the city of Tallahassee. We're not low in relation to the Learning Garden. Right. And we're high in relation. We look down on the cotton fields below that are at sure. ground, whatever, sea level, probably. They get very... They, yeah, a little higher than maybe sea level. A little, but, well, they certainly take on the moisture if we get a big heavy rain. But, yeah. so yeah, not sea level, but they're very low. We're up higher. So we do think that that probably did make a difference with uh, our vegetables tolerance. All right, so the next factor is moisture, yeah, which is you just alluded to. So let's talk yeah. a little bit about that. Well, we had been, I think the drip, drip irrigation at the Learning Garden had been discontinued right before um, the frost event, however, the second frost event. However, we noted in looking back on our log that it rained a couple of days before that. Exactly. That we had a big degree. rain uh, on the Tuesday and Wednesday before that Thursday. And, and in both places, we got about 1.4 inches. Yeah, so, so so we think the grounds were equally moist there. But let's talk about what the what moisture does for um, frost protection. Humidity in the air is actually helpful in that humid air holds more heat and therefore reduces the drying effect of frost. So that's one thing. Um, the soil itself, if it's if it's wet, that's helpful because wet soil actually holds four times more heat than dry soil. Um, and there's evidence to show that the air temperature above moist soil can be as much as five degrees higher, five degrees Fahrenheit higher than if it were dry air. Okay, and let's take those one at a time. I'm guessing that here in central Alabama, it is almost never humid and bitter cold. True. If, yeah. if it's bitter cold, it's because things have dried out and there's no cloud cover. And it, so, so that it, the humidity is probably not a factor at all for us. If it's a bitter cold, it's a low humidity yeah. event. Yeah. The, the soil moisture, on the other hand, really could be a determinant here. And let's talk a little bit about the way these beds are structured. And I d yeah, I think that's, that's relevant. Um, you, you've already mentioned that ours are down around shin height and the ones at the Learning Garden are closer to hip height. 
the, the ones that we're discussing where we've seen these differences, yes. They right. do have some lower ones. But, but the talk- ones where the damage yeah. occurred yeah. are these taller beds. And we think that may have a real impact because that puts the plants farther from the ground. That's one factor. And it also makes that the, means that the, the moisture may drain off faster from them if they're That's taller. Right. Yes. I mean, we've known for many years that raised beds, that vegetables grown in raised beds, it's just going to, they're going to dry out faster, that they do not retain the moisture of an in-ground planting. So it stands to reason that an even taller raised bed is going to lose that much more, more, more moisture. Exactly. So if those beds had gotten a nice rain event on Tuesday and Wednesday and then dried out just because they were taller, and didn't get any supplemental moisture, which they didn't. I mean, we, we were not irrigating them. Uh, right. They c- probably greeted that freeze event a good bit drier than ours did. That would be my guess, yes. So that, you know, we've already covered a couple of factors that really could have made a difference. The wind and the fact that, you know, it came in from the north, and now we have this um, the more drying um nature of those raised beds so i think that's that's probably it now let's talk about one other thing neither of those beds used any row cover or protection we have toyed with the idea of actually putting something like that on the ones in the learning garden especially after seeing this damage but here but in this case neither of them had it um we actually have some agrabond 15 which is um we use it as an insect barrier, and I ha- we have it over one row of vegetables, rutaba- rutabagas. One bed. Yeah, one bed, I'm sorry. And it's um, rutabagas and kale. Not the kale that I'm comparing with the one at the Learning Garden, because th- that was these are some smaller plants that I planted later and said, ah, the grasshoppers are still bad, let's put some row cover. Um, that row, particular type row cover allows in 90% of the sunlight, and it we're guessing... Uh, the only claim that the that uh, the Agrabond people make about that is it claims to offer a little frost protection, which exactly. we're estimating maybe one or two degrees. Right. I we also purchased some Agrabond thirty, which we call frost blanket because that's how we deploy it. It allows in seventy percent of the sunlight, although I don't ever leave it on overnight. I I mean I'm sorry the next day I only use it overnight. I do not. Um, use that, treat that as a floating row cover. But interestingly, a lot of people do. And and we yes. don't know that it wouldn't work just fine to leave it yeah, on all Because winter. then you could have 70% of the sunlight coming in and it might be okay. And the claim from the Agrabond folks is that Agrabond 30 offers 4 to 6 degrees of protection. And as I said, I just I laid it down on, over the lettuce the night it went down to 22 degrees and the lettuce, my lettuce came through unscathed from that. And it bears repeating... Your lettuce came through 22 degrees with the use of that uh, AG30. Right. Candy lost her lettuce at 29 degrees. So, um, with no without cover. without any protection. So that's an indication of how much power there is in that protection. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, we've never really worried a lot about using frost blanket. It's not been one of our primary tools. But now I guess I'm feeling like we might be able to push those heat-loving vegetables a little longer into the season mm-hmm. with a frost blanket every now and then. 
and you know if the veg the, the the limiting factor is the vegetable cannot be too tall if we're going to treat it as a floating row cover right. um so you know it might not work on tomatoes but there might be some other plants that i could plant later in the season and Again, like watermelons. Like you might watermelon. be able to keep watermelons yeah. out there with frost blanket because they're all low to the ground. If I could keep them in the raised bed, yes. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> That's a whole other issue. <laughs> well, we appreciate your visiting with us today and helping us puzzle through our interesting um, experiences and diverse experience with frost and the effect it has on our growing vegetables. Hope you have a good week and we'll catch up with you next time. You've been listening to Longleaf Breeze with Lee and Amanda Borden. You can call the farm at 334-625-8682. Send email to letters at longleafbreeze.com. Our address is P.O. Box 780-446, Tallahassee, Alabama, 36078. Visit us at longleafbreeze.com to learn more about the farm, to browse our archive, and to look over our planting database. You can also read the daily farm log and check in with Lee and Amanda. That's longleafbreeze.com.